I've been around the Western lifestyle sports for, for quite some time due to my experience at Singular Wireless. That's when you and I met way back in the day. Um, so I'm one of I'm one of those people from New Jersey who can actually say with a straight face, it's not my first wait, rodeo. What? Wait, well, I got to <laughs> right now. So Tim's from Long Island, lives in New Jersey now, and he's he's going after the Western Western lifestyle thing. I, I, that's a, listen. If I that. was really if I really wanted to ingratiate myself to Sean, I would have put on my Dustin boots and my and my Stetson that I have in my closet right yeah, across. I think uh, Tim, if you remember correctly, you wore loafers to your first PBR. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes cynical, sometimes irreverent, and yes, even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. David, what's on your mind? Well, we came off of a very interesting Masters week. That my the only prediction that I made on Masters week that was was accurate was that there was going to be a lot of rain <laughs> uh, because uh, I picked Will Zalatoris, who withdrew basically before the tournament started and is now out for the season. I'm a I'm a total jinx on these guys. You are like the uh, you're like the SI cover, right? Yeah, I am the SI cover jinx of the podcast world. Um, you of course picked Scotty Scheffler, who ended up. Looking like he was playing well, dropped back, ended up playing pretty well on on Sunday, but uh, fairly far off the pace because John Rahm ended up somewhat running away with it, but with a great challenge from Brooks Kepka, who really led going into that into the final day by quite a bit. Um, and it would have been an interesting scenario because we were all thinking about it in the business, and certainly Greg Norman, who wasn't invited to be there, was thinking about it. Uh, as Brooks was playing, Brooks Kepka, a live golfer, uh, was playing in the final group. And Phil Mickelson made a rather remarkable run there at a course he loves and has already has won uh, the Masters three times. Uh, and he was right there. And Patrick Reed, everybody's favorite uh, golfer, <laughs> pro golfer, uh, was in the mix as well. So people were you, thinking about this. But Yeah, you just got yourself a lawsuit, by the way. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, so, so interesting, three, three live golfers in the top five. Right. Lefty played really well, um, you know, set records for his score, uh, being the oldest player to score the way he did. I I wish I remember who. Who I'm quoting here, but um, somebody had a good point. They wonder if if Kepka didn't have the stamina for four rounds because live golf is only 54 holes. So I, I, I don't know if that's the case. Right. But. Yeah. But it's an interesting take. Well, well, Kepka looked as fit as he's been in a while. He has rehabilitated his uh, his knee, and he seemed to be playing. His swing looked great. He seemed to be playing nicely within himself. So he certainly seemed seemed fit. And I love Rom, by the way, because he kind of looks like an average guy, right? <laughs> looks like that old school golfer. Yeah, my wife looked uh, at him and goes, "That's an athlete." <laughs> a, damn actually, good, a damn good yeah, athlete, obviously. Which makes me feel good, right? So. Um, <laughs> And Phil looked as to be in the best shape I've seen him in a real long time. So he was definitely, you know, working to to peak toward this. I, you know, there were a lot of things going through because we've talked about Liv quite a bit on the show, of course. Um, and you know, a lot of the reporting has been this was a huge win for Liv. I, I, I don't necessarily see it that way. I see it as a win for the majors for sure. 
um, and the Masters in particular, that the best golfers rose to the top. And Brooks Kepka has won four majors and was vying for another one, one that he hadn't won yet, the Masters. Bill Mickelson is obviously a Hall of Fame golfer. Patrick Reed is a Masters winner and a talented golfer, whether you like his, you know, the stuff that he, the other things that he brings to the game or not. Um, these are talented golfers. I, and Cam Smith, who who really wasn't in the mix, uh, but certainly made the cut, is as good a golfer as there is out there. So it's, you know, no one's arguing that Liv hasn't pulled some great golfers. I, I think had Kepka won and you know, and Phil finished second, obviously there would have been a lot of crowing and I would have understood that crowing. Part of me though, particularly with Kepka not wearing his team colors as the other golfers did, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the mashy niblicks or the aces or the, whatever the, the names of those teams are certainly Patrick Reed and, and Phil Mickelson were wearing their team gear. Kepka did not, he was fully out in his Nike stuff. Um, my thought was, was he wondering why he put himself in the position that he's put? That was my thought. I could be completely wrong about that, but that's what was going through my head. Well, it's interesting because I read an interview with him last week in which he said that if he was healthy, right, if he didn't have those knee issues, that it, you know, it would have been a more difficult decision to make as to whether or not to leave the tour to go to live golf. So, so almost seeming to open the door to returning to the PGA tour. Um, assuming the tour would have them and all that stuff. Listen, you're right. They're great golfers, right? Lefty among, you know, the all-time greats and, and, and Reed and, and Kepka, right? It's still in the prime of their careers. That's never been a question. The, the question is the viability of live golf long-term. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this does anything to help it or hinder it in either way. Right. Um, because now they go back to their tour, which is a fraction. The audience is the fraction of this, a fraction of the size of the PGA tour. Um, and, and, you know, they'll, they continue to get beat up in the courts, uh, as well as in the court of public opinion. Um, and so let's see what's, you know, what's next, the U S open in June. Right. Um, so let's see if, you know, more live golfers are near the top of the leaderboard on Sunday there. I don't know. Like I said, let's see. Yeah, I do think I do think it's interesting. And and if you know, he Brooks Kepka clearly proved that he was among the great golfers of the current day. I mean, that he can play. Um, he managed what was a very challenging course for two and a half rounds, really almost three rounds, because he certainly went into the that final round, you had to play a lot on, on Sunday. Um, yeah, they played 30 with, holes. With a, yeah. With a, with a lead. So he, I, you know, listen, I, I thought he looked good. His game just wasn't as good as John Rahm's on that last day. I mean, John Rahm, other than that tee shot on 18 that he hit, that he had to be like going, well, that was so, that was so me, um, the tee shot. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, Rahm did not, or Kepka did not pull a, a Greg Norman on Sunday in Augusta. Right. But I didn't think so either. I didn't think so either. He, he blew a lead, obviously, but he yeah. didn't. He didn't seem like he pulled a, a Norman. What did you think of the hullabaloo around? Uh, I didn't hear it, or I wasn't listening. I had to have been had it on at the time because I was watching the end. But with a with Jim Nance's apparent little dig at when Kepka found the crosswalk and he called it the CW, which which everybody's given him a hard time about that. But I'm going if if he definitely meant to say that, which I'm guessing he did. 
he just brought the CW to way more people's attention than had known about the CW before. So why are people ripping him so badly? That's the kind of thing that gets a a, a master's announcer taken off the t- taken off the the broadcast, right? Yeah. Jack Whitaker and uh, uh, you know who who was it uh, that got taken? Yeah, um, it wasn't Ferry, uh, was uh, it? Uh, Gary. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gary McCord. Gary McCord. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know, but M- Nance is saying goodbye soon, anyway, right? So. Right. Well, he does want to do that. He does uh, want to do the, keep doing the Masters. Yeah, I think he wants to do fifty. So, which would yeah. be thirteen, twelve or thirteen yeah. more years. Listen, uh, you know, weird weather, weird circumstances. Obviously, the live thing was was hanging over this. It was discussed by Tirico, um to a fair extent. Um, it was still a great golf tournament that, that we expect from the masters I, I was i was totally into it so yeah well, crazy you know you talked about the weather at the opening and uh two trees fell yeah. right be- and, wow. and somebody's standing right between right. them i hope they ran out and bought a lottery ticket yeah that was uh that was pretty unbelievable right yeah. i mean how many how many years have we watched that tournament that seemed that seemed something i hadn't you know you obviously see see weather come through there it's this time right. of year in georgia but um so uh so i just kind of wanted to touch on that but i also wanted to talk about the um uh nba numbers that came out uh record 22.2 million fans this season that's a record shattering the previous high that was set during the 2017-18 season um average per game attendance uh, for the league's 30 clubs of over 18,000 that's a 6.3% increase i mean these are this is this is significant in today's day and age when ratings are hard to find right ratings increases mm-hmm. are hard to find and the younger audience has so many other things that they can be doing they consume things differently so we've talked about engagement as a new metric and maybe the int- attendance factor um, continues to rise as a uh, important sign of people's willingness to be engaged and spend their money with that content in a, in a live situation. Obviously, we're coming off of a few years after COVID or maybe not so many years because I guess we just announced that that we were removing it as a national emergency and that we're back to a record numbers for the NBA. And all this on top of a time when people like criticizing the various big properties for you know, being too involved in in things that they may not like. So I, I was impressed when I saw this number, I have to say. Yeah, no, the, it's certainly uh, great news for the league, right? We're going into the playoffs now mm-hmm. with the play-in series. Yep. Uh, we'll see if those if those trends continue into the postseason. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I know we do this at the end of the show, but I'm interested to see what, uh, what LeBron and the Lakers uh, can do. Uh, that'll be, that'll be, I'm not going to go out on a limb on that one, but, um, but not, not going out on a limb, but I had the same thought. I had the same thought because no one's ever made it out of the play in through the first round, but there's always a first for everything. It's not like they've been doing this forever. Right. And they're playing Minnesota, right. With missing their two, two top players. Um, Rudy Gobert's out for punching a teammate. Right. (laughs) So, which, yeah, you're you're laughing. Right? Well, I'm it's, laughing it's, because it always because it's seems, absurd. It's so yeah, just it's so absurd. There's so many, uh, it's so absurd, it's so absurd. Um, um, but you know, and and I will make a, I will make one prediction. All right, I love it. 
I have always said that Michael is the GOAT, right? And I know there are people who are older than us who say it's Oscar Robertson or it's Bill Russell, right? To me, from what I have seen in my life, right, Michael Jordan is the GOAT, right? Um, Agreed. If if the Lakers somehow pull off a miracle and they win with that team, then I will then I will tip my hat to LeBron James. Yeah. I, I think the only two players, and we would get arguments from this, or I would get arguments from this, because I think the only two players in that discussion along with MJ are are LeBron and Kareem. Okay, and Kareem, yeah, he's in the mix. Yep, for sure. Um and and then you have obviously Kobe and Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell, of course. And so I listen, I and Larry Bird. So there there are a number of people, you know, that that legitimately could say it, I, I, you know, having been in Chicago during the, the Bulls run, having seen Michael play up close in college, I mean, he, he just amazes me. And while we're on the topic, have you seen Air yet? No, I have not. It, it's way better than I thought it was going to be. That's what I've heard. That seems to be the popular uh, opinion about the about Now, the I'll say this, and if we have any listeners from the – David Falk School of Sport Management in Syracuse. <laughs> um, well, let us know what, what you think. I thought they portrayed David somewhat ridiculously. Not that they didn't hit how aggressive he was and how he could be a little uh, dramatic and, and kind of histrionic um, in the way he approached things. And he was, he, you know, listen, arguably the greatest basketball agent ever, right? Yeah. Um, I worked for him for a short period of time directly. And um, let's say he was a good basketball agent. That's what his, his strength was. I thought they played him a little over the top. They made him like the, you know, the, the super slick um, Jerry Maguire ish type of, uh, of guy. David never looked that part by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was a a hardcore advocate for his clients as an agent should be. Um, And he used every, piece of leverage that he could at all times. But I think that by and large, um, when you look at the the people that he has represented over the years, and some of them are mentioned in this movie, you know, he did the right job. But enough about that. That was the that was the piece of the story that I thought they kind of overplayed to to uh, dramatize it. They they certainly made Sonny Vaccaro look like a you know a, a modern day type of you know uh, a hero and in, to some people I'm I'm sure he was. Um, so they probably overly, you know, played him as kind of almost like a saint-like fe- uh, figure in this. But which is, which is not which is not his reputation, right? right? If Correct. anything, he's an anti-hero, right? Correct. And and I would I would argue that there are a number of people who were involved in the basketball industry mm-hmm. during that that time who would consider him even yeah. a villain. Yeah. So this listen, this takes a certain slice of it, but man, it made for it it you know, it's really one of those stories where you go, like, it's cool that someone had the thought to tell this story in this way, because it really was it was a good movie. You know, Viola Davis is just amazing and she played uh, Dolores Jordan wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Affleck was hilarious as Phil Knight, I thought. I mean, I really thought they they made him look like kind of the quirky, weird corporate guy that that found himself atop this massive um, organization. Um, and they played to that well, and he did a great job with, uh, with it. It was, it was, it was great. Hi- highly recommend it to anybody that hasn't seen it. The movie was way better than I thought. I'm really glad I decided to go. 
Well, I'm taking a transatlantic flight tomorrow night, so there you go. I don't know if I can buy it to buy it, watch on the plane, but um so what about you what's what's weighing big on you well we've talked about it before and it's finally happened the chicago cubs your adopted hometown team <laughs> thanks for pointing that out um signed the first dbd sponsorship yeah. with a company called mind myND drinks so i think the floodgates open mm -hmm. right now and then i think as i've i said before and i have uh and I have applied for a trademark to this term. I, I consider CBD a gateway sponsorship to, to cannabis. Right. Um, well, I think, I, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Um, it, it could be, and it depends on what kind of happens more as, as, as more states come online and whether there is any federal action on, uh, on marijuana, um, THC-based weed. Um, and whether or not, I mean, on the on the CBD side, I'm I'm interested to see as a as a industry as a category. Forget the sponsorship side of it; that it remains viable. Um, as, anecdotally, as, as, I can't say I I've seen growth. I mean, I I saw it like burst on the scene. A lot of people swearing by it. I think from an athletic standpoint, there's some reason for you know to to take this money and. Um, I've tried some oil before. It seemed to certainly not do any harm and maybe do some improvement. I've heard other people really swear by it. I've heard other people say it doesn't do anything. But um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more curious about does the category as a product have viability beyond whether it has viability as a, um, as a sponsoring category? I think, yeah, I think that's a great question. And uh, I, I, I remain skeptical, right? Um, as to, as not to the efficacy of CBD, right? Because I don't know about that, but uh, I remain skeptical that it will be a viable and burgeoning or growing sponsorship category in, in years ahead. Um, I think it's been a bit of a wild, wild west, and this was a point of differentiation by some of the companies, and obviously the well-founded ones could afford to do something with a team like the Chicago Cubs. Um, I will say this, and, I, and this comes... <laughs> like many of my feelings uh, from complete lack of knowledge or understanding of the topic. But to me, CBD is like drinking alcohol-free beer, right? Like, wow. Like if you get the THC, well, get the THC with the CBD, that's, that's I'm not advocating drug use, but I, I'm just saying, if you, if you're going to go for it, you, well, you kind of are, but that's okay. You're not, not advocating it. Let's at least well, say that. Well, I'm sitting here in New Jersey and it's legal. So, <laughs> well, I, I think the, um, I think for those that take it at night um, to help sleep, Probably you're right, but the the but those that use oil on joints and so forth, that to me is a potentially different um, different animal, um, and you're not necessarily looking for a, a you know a THC based high from rubbing something on your Speak shoulder. For yourself. Or... Speak for yourself. Well, that will well, that would be pretty cool though. <laughs> Transdermal high. <laughs> That's good. Oh, listen, I, you know, I am, uh, I am a creature and a, uh, of, of advertising, right? If I'm going to put something on joints, man, I'm going with Jack. I see. 
or or uh what is it the well if you're going with Shaq, you must you must you must use a lot of different products that uh, yeah yeah well i get my insurance through the general and uh, <laughs> and you eat your papa john's pizza. papa john's pizza what's the what's the other one uh the other the other uh analgesic cream i know the japanese company is hitami soup because it's an earworm right at the end of the commercial they go hitami <laughs> anyway i forget what the product's name is but It'll um, come. To, it'll come to me. Well, speaking of baseball sponsorships, uh, um, I know you're a Yankees guy now. But did you? Did what you, do you mean did, now? You make it sound like I jumped on the bandwagon when. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. No. Since okay, I was ten right. years old. You're, well, I now. I mean, you know, don't be so defensive about. It. I just said now. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you weren't before. But all right, I apologize. Um, did you have you seen the news on the um, on the Mets patch? that they have with uh, New York uh, Presbyterian. Yeah, I love Steve it, Cohen. It, well, oh, he's the he's, he's but, awesome. But, but, but the funniest thing about it is the patch is like the entire upper arm length. But the New York Presbyterian says, like, and it's red, which, of course, and you're, in the, you're in the NL East, so it looks yeah. horrible because the Mets are that that certain blue and that certain orange. Right. And it's, it's New York Presbyterian. You know, logo color is red, which is fine. But the fact that they stuck it in that big, giant, long patch, uh, you know, I don't know if that was part of Well, the patch is really big, but the logo is only so small. And it just looked ridiculous. Yeah. But Cohen says they're going to fix that. Right. Yeah. But but how does it get it? Like, I don't know. at some point, at some point, right, somebody in the marketing department sees a sample, <laughs> right? And they see this thing that, you know, I've seen skid marks on the highway that are shorter than this patch right and and, so, and the guy goes and, and the guy or the gal goes yeah okay let's let's go into production it, with that it looks so big that it had to affect people's throwing motion right <laughs> because you know it's stiff right like remember when you were in cub looked, scouts it, when you were in cub scouts and you got a yeah you, you got the like hey i want a merit badge and you couldn't it, move it, your it, arm because it was like a merit badge that you're yeah. that you're parent had to sew on your uh on your uniform yeah it's like concrete that your mom sewed on that's how hard it is right yeah like, you know <laughs> so when Her, i read this story, was healthy he just couldn't bend his arm so i thinking. read this story because i don't typically watch mets games but when i read the story or saw the headline you know and the first thing i saw i just started cracking up saying what the heck is that the patch is so big that it it actually diminishes the logo readability, it seems to me. Right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, one more thing before we yeah. take a break and welcome our guest. Um, congratulations to the NWSL. Like, we've been very bullish about that league for a long time. If you're listening, Joe Favorito or Jessica Gelman, we still want to have Jessica on the podcast. Shameless plug. But um, they sold uh, an expansion franchise to a Bay Area investor group for $53 million, yeah. who is going to invest significantly more. Um, and they'll be starting play next year, I believe. So that league continues to trend in the in the right direction. Yeah, all the news just continues to be very, very positive. And and I think given the the things that we talked about last week with the success of the uh, of the women's NCAA tournament, the fact that there's a World Cup, women's World Cup coming up, uh, WNBA had a very successful, it seems to me, draft last night. Um, there's just it's just such a good positive year for women's sports at this level overall, and the NWSL just seems to be making uh, a lot of the right steps. So, um, continued congratulations to them. Uh, obviously, we'll we'll see how these merit out, but with that type of news comes interest in in investment. I mean, you know, 
it's not quite pickleball level investment yet, but you know, we'll, <laughs> Wait, we'll, what? we'll see where it goes, right? Um, anyway, now, yeah. well, as, a, as a New Yorker, you should know that you can plunk down $120 an hour for a pickleball court on Wolman Rink. They just installed them this past weekend, and they'll be up through the fall. So I think I can uh, grab a little paddle and a wiffle ball and bang it around my <laughs> New York City apartment and and <laughs> get as much out of it. Yeah, I, I shouldn't say that. I do want to play it. I actually do want to play it. I feel and you and you have so um, or you watched. You didn't play yet, um, and I'll probably end up liking it. Doesn't mean I'll watch it on TV, but anyway, I do think that's a good time for a break, huh? Okay, let's come back soon. It's time for our guest. We're back, and we are really happy to have our next guest. Sean Gleason is the Chief Executive Officer of Professional Bull Riders, otherwise known as PBR. Sean spent the better part of the last quarter century growing the sport of professional bull riding into what it is today. So, Sean, welcome, and, and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Tim, Dave, for having me on. So let's get started. Um, you know, I've I've been around the Western lifestyle sports for, for quite some time due to my experience at Singular Wireless. That's when you and I met way back in the day. Um, so I'm one of I'm one of those people from New Jersey who can actually say with a straight face, it's not my first rodeo. Wait, what? wait well, I got to interrupt right now. So Tim's from Long Island, lives in New Jersey now, and he's he's going after the Western Western lifestyle thing. I, I, that's a, listen. If I that. was really if I really wanted to ingratiate myself to Sean, I would have put on my Dustin boots and my and my Stetson that I have in my closet right yeah, across. I, mean, I think uh, Tim, if you remember correctly, you wore loafers to your first PBR. <laughs> Years ago. So, uh, I think you went home with some BS on them. So, yeah, yep. Yeah. And the next thing you knew, next thing you know, I had uh, I had my Wranglers pressed and my Dustin boots on, and I was ready to go. That's right. <laughs> so, but but PBR has a great origin story, right? It's it's been around for over thirty. This is your thirtieth anniversary, in fact. So, tell our listeners how how PBR came to be. Uh, when and where and how it was formed? Uh, well, it was 20 bull riders. They broke away from the sport of rodeo. They were traveling up and down the road. They were putting their lives on the line week in, week out. And arguably, you know, bull riders are the, the biggest sell at a rodeo anywhere. It's the most exciting part of the rodeo. And uh, they realized that uh, they were having a challenge being professional athletes. They each put $1,000 in the original investment in PBR um, and started this organization and wanted to build it to create a better future for themselves as well as the next generations of bull riders that came behind them. And I think we've done that in spades. Can you, a quick follow-up question. Can, can you tell us what that original thousand dollar investment is worth today in 2023? Well, actually uh, we sold the business for the first time in 2007 to a New York private equity firm. Mm -hmm. And each of the guys that held on to their thousand uh, dollar investment made four point two million on that transaction. Uh, the guys that rolled over when we were bought by Endeavor in two thousand fifteen made five point five million on thousand bucks. And money well earned. Yeah, I, I think if you do the math on it, you know, I mean, uh, our sister company UFC traded for a pretty good multiple at uh, four point two billion. But if you do the math on it, the thousand dollars to five point five is actually a better return than the Kita's got. So, 
Yeah, that's percentage-wise. I'd still take the four point two billion, but that, yeah. that's amazing. I I, I want to follow up on that on that question because that, that that story is great, and and we all know that what the power of PRCA was, and it was a you know a, a, a good organization with a great national finals um, every year. But but you know I had always heard that same story that the bull riders were the draw, the big draw. I'm a little curious as to. Was it just the was it just known from the reaction that the bull riding got at these big rodeos uh, and the fact that they were risking themselves a little more maybe than the uh, you know than the other cowboys which obviously are all risking themselves in, in whatever endeavor they're they're focused on um, I'm I'm a little curious as to how they just absolutely knew we're the ones to break off here to start our own series. Well, I I don't think that they absolutely knew. I think that you know there was a lot of question mark around whether bull riding could stand alone as a sport. Um, you know, the model also was to put the best bull riders week in and week out on the best bulls um, in the sport of rodeo at the time. The term stock contractor came because one guy got the contract to provide all the stock at a rodeo, and if he only had two good bulls and all the rest were decent or maybe not so decent. Um, these guys had traveled to a rodeo and get on a piece of junk bull and they couldn't win and they couldn't make any money because they it's still a sport today where they don't get paid if they don't ride and they don't win. So there were a lot of reasons that they did it out of necessity and need at the time, but I don't think they were convinced that they had a rocket ship home run of an event at, or of a business at the time they broke away. They had to put a blood, sweat, and tears into it. Yeah, the story I heard was that they had to beat the uh, barrel racers to the punch because they were going to start their own PBR, professional barrel racers. So yeah, <laughs> David, David would have been a fan That's, of that. <laughs> um, uh, well, that's another whole piece about the that's so that's so interesting about your sport, Sean. Is that is is how much of a role the bulls play in that and the personalities that 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 are created around the bulls and the. Uh, you know, in the contracting of those and everything, it's it's been obviously something that the the fans follow as well. Kim mentioned that you're celebrating a 30th anniversary. Take us through any of the big uh, type of plans that you have uh, to commemorate that uh, as a as it tours around the country and 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 other places. Yeah, we've been celebrating it uh, for the season that we've been conducting this year, but really the payoff is uh, the PBR World Finals here in Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth, Texas, May 12 to 21. And on the 17th, we're throwing our official Dirty 30 anniversary party. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy is gonna host, Chris Jansen, Ryan Bingham, uh, Cole Hauser will be there, and a lot of other uh, acts and celebs will be playing. And we're just gonna throw a big old Shindig at Billy Bob's, the biggest honky-tonk in the world. That's awesome. So um, you were one of the first professional sports to allow yourself to sort of open yourselves up to, to the documentary treatment with the show, the Netflix series Fearless, um, which was several years ago, right? So two-part question. Number one, how did that sort of drive interest and viewership and attendance and sort of awareness of the PBR brand and your riders and bulls. And then second of all, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about uh, The Ride, which is the new docuseries that's going to be launching later this year on Amazon Prime. Yeah, well, that Netflix series, Fearless, you know, we're so thankful that um, we had an opportunity to do that and get the brand and some of our riders out in front of 
a broader audience because there's so much mystery about the sport of bull riding. It really, um, I always, I always say that most people just ignore us because they they don't think it's for them. If you've never been, if you have any aversion to a sport on dirt or if uh, a sport based on these great animal athletes and you don't understand it, a lot of people just immediately think or assume that it's not for them. And so the way to break down those barriers is to really tell the story in more depth than we can in our competition broadcasts. And Fearless was one of the first big opportunities we had to do that. We focused on um, a lot of our Brazilian riders and the, the tri trials and tribulations they go through to make it from the heart of Brazil. Some of them literally living in huts in Brazil and making their way up to the U.S. and touring the country as a professional athlete. Um, it opened a lot of doors. I just had some people last week tell me, oh, I just found Fearless. And I'm like, really? Didn't that come out <laughs> 10, 12 years ago? Um, so it did introduce us to a lot of new uh, new fans. But the ride on Amazon, I've had a chance um, to obviously go through, be a part of the development, but to sit down and witness all uh, eight episodes that are coming out in June, and it is absolutely fantastic. It dives into the stories behind some of our guys. And, you know, I, I say a lot that um, people that are uneducated assume that bull riders come from Planet Bull Rider, that they're being down here. <laughs> They're crazy enough to get on these bulls or that they think that these are guys that roll into an event, throw the beer in the back of the pickup and or ask somebody to hold it and say, watch this. You know, they think that they just don't understand how athletic they are, how real they are. They're just they're 20 something year old young men that live a life just like every other 20 something year old in America does. For the most part, they just do something a little more extreme for their profession and uh, telling that story I think is going to hook a lot of new fans. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, that's really exciting and congratulations on on that. Take a little step further along that lines. Obviously shows like that uh, can work for you to help grow your audience. You mentioned your own by Endeavor. We all know that all businesses have pressure on continued growth. What other things are you doing to be able to expand yourself, whether that's geographically or demographically to new audiences. And to kind of address that own point that some people may just say, well, that's a, that's a, that thing. That's a thing for those people to watch. Um, anything else that, that you can share with us in terms of trying to grow the sport? Well, yeah, we did one that we launched it last year. I've been working on it for a lot of years and we actually launched last year, but we created the PBR team series. Mm -hmm. um, we sold eight professional sports franchises. It looks like everybody's following the model now. And, <laughs> you know, uh, well, 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 I'll never get the credit. There's a lot of things that PBR has led the way on in terms of business strategy and marketing initiatives. Um, but, you know, we've, I've worked on that for a long, long time. We were successful in selling the first eight franchises. And we had the first PBR team series last year. And it really changes uh, the sport. It's still fundamentally a man against the bull in eight seconds. So we didn't change the challenge or the athleticism uh, or athletic part of the, the sport. But putting him into a team environment changed everything because it's historically been one of the most individual sports that's ever existed in the world. And now they're relying on teammates and, and partners for their success. And it was a huge, huge success, very successful launch. We're looking at expansion right now already and 
Um, going into the second season, we'll look to expand in, in the third year. Uh, the demand for teams, we've got a waiting list of 20, 25 people that want team franchises. And um, and on, at its core level, though, the team bull riding is more relatable to a casual sports fan than the complexity of individual bull riding. And so being familiar in a team concept, it just it creates new opportunities for us to engage with fans. It also, each one of these teams has a home market, so it gives us a chance to build uh, more stability and, and community relationships in the markets than the traveling circus that we do, which is usually Madison Square Garden one weekend and LA the next, you know, it's, uh, so this gives us a little more stability, but we're really excited about PBR Teams and what it's adding to the overall product mix we offer. So, so you mentioned LA and New York as two markets where you guys go, right? And for lack of a better term, they're non-traditional, right? In terms of Western lifestyle. But what what does going to markets like LA and New York and Chicago, um, where there might not be a huge base of uh, fans, what does that do for the sport? What does it do for pole riding? Well, I mean, that, that was part of the premise is not just put the best bull riders on the best bulls week in and week out, but to take it to places that it's not typically held. Uh, you know, and in the very early days, you're talking about, you know, Columbus, Georgia and El Paso, Texas, and places that are probably pretty typically held in, in and around those communities. But every city, every major city, every state in America used to have fantastic community events called rodeos. It was kind of the centerpiece of the community gathering, and it was the time to celebrate, you know, those cities. And and most of those have been lost now over the years. There's not a lot of great ones that are still standing. And so I'd say that a lot of our markets, whether it's St. Louis, uh, Des Moines, Iowa, um, you know, Chicago, Madison Square Garden, L.A., obviously, but Sacramento, Tacoma, Washington, those places that are places that uh, that don't really get a lot of exposure these days to Western sports or Western lifestyle. Um, and we work really hard to build fan bases in those in those places, but it gives us a more diverse, um, inclusive fan base, frankly, that then rodeo can can get to because they're in one place, whether it's San Antonio, Texas or Reno, Nevada great events but they're not necessarily welcoming to new fans i i can tell you i've been to a pbr event at the garden and it was packed and it was awesome and uh and st louis i have been to the pbr event which is where you and i met yeah. um i want to i want to take a a look at you, you've had some great sponsors over the years and you usually have titles can you take us through a little about the sponsorship philosophy as well as the type of brands that you want to uh, uh, bring in and I guess brands that are, you know, that are interested in, in taking a look at what the, what the PBR has to offer. Yeah. I think, you know, when, when Tim and I met years ago, the, it was, the pitch was the same, like we're going to work harder than anybody else out there to make this successful for your business and your brand uh, because we had to, you know, there were, again, not just with the fans, but we started out with one foot in the grave because it's a dirt sport and it's misunderstood and it's, you know, people make assumptions about what the in entertainment experience is going to be around bull riding, and they're almost always wrong. Um, you know, I think for those of you that if, that if you think back to your first event, you probably walked out of there surprised and engaged. 
you know, and, and you had a great time. And just a lot of people think, oh, it's not for me, it's not for me. But, but the combination of all, all the things we're talking about, the major markets and the different consumer uh, that isn't really your traditional rodeo fan for us builds this um, really attractive fan base of, you know, of engaged consumers. And I think, frankly, you know, I, I can't prove it, but I think we have the most engaged fan base of any fan base out there today. NASCAR certainly owned it in the heyday. If the car was rolling around the track, you bought Tide because you liked that driver in that car. Um, and, you know, we have this very, very passionate, passionate base of core consumers. And when you can fire up those core consumers to support a brand, that works. And so we just, that's what we do. We take our great audience, our exposure on CBS, Sports, CBS Sports Network, Pluto TV, take the live event audiences, and we try and get them to buy the, the brands that, uh, that support and, uh, the business and the bull rush. So you've been with the PBR for 23 years, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Uh, and so get out your crystal ball. Ten years from now, where would you like to or where do you envision seeing professional Me, bull me personally? Well, no, the sport, the sport, the organization. And, you, you know, you're a young guy. Maybe you, hopefully you're still me, running me at that point. Retired. I'm, 50, <laughs> I'm 58, about to be 59. I got, I got – <laughs> Five, seventeen good years of man that I want golf. But you know the what what my goals are right now is to get the team business firmly, firmly established before I do retire. Um, and build a good team. I've got a fantastic team around me, but I want to make sure that I leave the sport in pretty good hands. Um, but really for you know, we're so we're so well established and things are going great. I mean, we have set record on top of record this year. Um, in terms of our ticket sales, our viewership uh, is up by 25% over the last few months. And so what we're doing is working. We're engaging with new fans, they're watching, they love the sport. And so my job really, before I, I walk out the door, I want to get the, the team series expanded to 16 teams across this country, firmly entrenched. And then I might spend a year or two running a team trying to kick the asses of all the other uh, team owners that I've sold these teams to just to prove that I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to bull riding and, and the sport itself, not just business. That's great. Before we let you go, Sean, we have two questions we like to ask all our guests. So the first one. Let your career get started. Well, I grew up on the back of a horse. So when it comes to Western sports, um, I competed in rodeo and, um, and really literally grew up on the back of a horse every day if I could. Um, got away from it, went into the music business. Um, I, couldn't get, I couldn't get out of a small town fast enough. Lived in Seattle, ran a, um, a record and video company and then I spent the next 10 years trying to get myself back to that small town because I, <laughs> uh, I realized that I didn't want to be uh, necessarily out of there. Um, left the music business, went into computer games, ran the sports division of Sierra Online. Uh, we made NASCAR racing, NFL football, pro, and some other traditional sports games. 
And I made a bull riding computer game, and that's what landed me at the PBR 23 years ago. Was, um, we made a, a, a lot of casual sports games at the time, fast fishing and hunting, and I was looking for another big thing and uh, did a lot of research, and this thing called PBR started popping up, you know, three years into the organization's development. I made the same mistake a lot of people make. I went and tried to get a rodeo license because I thought, oh, they like rodeo. And what I, re what I realized after more research was, no, it is literally just this thing called PBR. And so I made a pro bull rider in, at Sierra. And then a couple of years later, I, uh, I left to join PBR as the COO and haven't looked back. That's a great story. Great story. So the last question before we let you go, what's one piece of advice you have for a young person looking to break into the sports business? whether it's Western sports or, or any sport for that matter? Um, you know, I think it's really just don't take no for an answer. Um, and always believe in your, uh, question yourself, challenge yourself, but, but never doubt yourself. Um, if you've got the education, if you've got some experience, uh, the thing that I see that gets in most people's way in terms of um, being successful or climbing the ladder or whatever it is that you're after out, out for in, in sports or any entertainment business um, is really it's self-doubt. Don't doubt yourself. Just go in, learn, try hard. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. I've only been successful about, I'll give myself some credit, say 75% <laughs> of the time. So 25% of the time I make big mistakes and it, the key is to learn from them and then move on. Great advice. Great advice. Well, listen, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the rest of the year, with the Dirty 30 party, with the team series, with the launch of Ride. Uh, so many great things going on with PBR, and it's really, really great to see you. It's great to follow your continued success with the organization. Yeah. Well, Thanks, great Sean. to be on with you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, that was a fun conversation, Tim. Thanks to Sean Gleason, CEO of PBR, for, for joining us and giving us some insight uh, into the exciting things going on with Pro Bull Riders. Uh, it is a fascinating, fascinating property. So it was great. One that we don't talk about that much. So it was really good to get Sean on. So this is uh, the time of the show where we don't look back, we look ahead. And so, Tim, what do you have your eye on? Well, tomorrow night, um, not to be outdone by you, David, I'll be getting on a plane, although I won't be globetrotting nearly as much as you are. I'm heading over to the UK to see my daughter who's studying over there and great. do a little bit of business, have a lot of fun, hopefully. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing my first uh, Chelsea match. They're playing Brighton on Saturday, and uh, Chelsea's president is uh, somebody well-known in the sports business here in America, Tom Glick, formerly of Tepper Sports, formerly of Man City, NBA, various teams. I think the only reason Tom wouldn't be uh, eligible for our Legend Series is because he's still too damn young. But um, one of the one of the really great guys in the sports industry. And we anticipate that you will be making uh, a strong, concerted pitch to get Mr. Glick on the show. I have t I have teed it up in the past, so I hope to have him uh, join us. Absolutely. Yeah, he'd be he'd be a great guest. Well, listen. Uh, uh, it's exciting for you to 
be able to go over and see your daughter and take in some things while you're there. So best of everything on that trip. Um, we talked about the, um, NBA playing, uh, kicking off. I'm, I'm excited to try to take in a few games, see what it could mean. Um, I've not spent that much time watching, uh, all that much NBA this year, uh, for a variety of reasons, but, um, uh, expect to be able to tune in a little bit. Uh, so I am looking forward to that. I also have a, it is the time of year for the casino night gig benefiting Guma foundation, which is a very dear friend of mine's family foundation, um, to benefit, uh, uh, children with, um, certain types of cancer, um, playing in New Jersey and see caucus and the feds will be, will be headlining. Although I think our headlining status is getting diminished, like increasingly diminished, partly because we just don't play much anymore. Um, and, but you know, we, we do expect that we will play the, in your dream song, which is the theme song to wait, what, um, uh, live for the audience. So that'll be kind of cool anyway. So that's what I got going this weekend. Great. Good luck. I'm sorry. I'm going to miss it. Well, we will get you at one sometime if we, uh, if we don't just completely run out of steam in the, uh, in the coming years. Uh, but, uh, uh, hopefully that won't happen. Um, listen, great, great show. It's, uh, it's great to be back with a guest. Uh, it had been a while for me given, uh, travels and, uh, my loss of voice. Uh, so always good to, uh, spend this time with you, Tim. And again, thanks to Sean. That was a, that was a fun discussion. And thanks of course, mostly to uh, all of you that, you know, spend a little time with us each week and listen to this show and give us feedback, uh, your encouragement and, and feedback and, and um, sometimes criticism. It means a lot to us uh, and we love hearing from you. Uh, so we'll keep, we'll keep doing what we do and we hope you'll keep doing what you do uh, and listening and sharing and, uh, and engaging with us. So until then, until next week, uh, I'm DP. He's McGee, and we will talk soon.